Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 9, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. I hope that you are seriously praying for the needs of our our nation and even our world. Uh, This is a time where God can do great and mighty things. But we just need to be found faithful in prayer. Allow me to read this passage of scripture. John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore his neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes open?" And he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, continue to open our eyes to the truths of your word. Lord, help us to see that there is much blindness in our world today. But Lord, there is a cure. Lord, you are the cure. You're the cure for spiritual blindness. Lord, you want us to be a part of the remedy of sharing the cure with those who need it most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this message about the the blind man that Jesus heals really is a metaphor of life. It is really uh, a deep theological uh, story that we can look at. Let me just just kind of compare it to what is actually happening in life. This man was physically blind. But we are spiritually blind from birth. He was hopeless, helpless, and lost in his blindness. And we're hopeless, helpless, and lost in our spiritual blindness. Notice this. The man did not seek Jesus for physical healing. And mankind does not seek Jesus for spiritual healing. Jesus took the initiative to go to the man and offer physical healing. And Jesus still seeks us. He initiates the offer to offer us spiritual healing. We have no, uh, The man had no power to heal himself, and we have no power to heal ourselves of our spiritual blindness. The man had a choice to either obey Jesus or not to obey, to either accept what Jesus was offering or to reject it. And the same goes for us. We have the same opportunity to either accept or reject the offer that Jesus gives to us. 
You know, there are those who just don't understand the power of Jesus. They don't understand his gift of spiritual healing that he offers. Uh, They just continue to be spiritually blind. And there are those who remain spiritually blind by choice. They know what the offer is, but they reject it. They rather remain as they are. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Jesus passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. Well, Jesus has just eluded the Pharisees. If you remember the end of chapter 8, they basically are accusing him of blasphemy because he said, I am God. And so they were bent down picking up stones while Jesus just leaves the temple. Now, we're not sure exactly where Jesus meets this man. Most time, beggars are in two different places. One is at the gates of the temple because they know that as people come in that they are wanting to, to appear righteous. So they will drop the alms into their, their little cans or their plates or whatever it is that they have trying to begging for assistance. Or it could be at the city gates. We really don't know. If it's at the temple gates, it's amazing that Jesus has just walked away from men who wanted to stone him, but he doesn't seem to be anxious or hiding or, or anything. He's just walking with his disciples as nothing else mattered. But he meets this man, and he sees a need. Now, the scriptures don't say it here, but I believe that it was an appointed meeting. I believe that Jesus knew where this man was, and he knew his need. And he knew that this was another opportunity to teach his disciples and those who were following him. And note what it says. The man was blind from birth. Now this plays into consideration with the questions that are about to be asked. But most of us have known somebody or met somebody who was blind, totally blind. Not just just legally blind, but totally blind. Uh, We had a lady, a young lady in our high school who was totally blind. She was in our band. Now, they had special music, I guess, with Braille and things like that, where she could learn it, but she had to memorize it. Guess what? She was in our marching band, totally blind. Well, we marched elbow to elbow, and so whoever was beside her had to make sure that their elbows stayed in contact, and she marched the formations just like everyone else. Amazing what a blind person, a totally blind person, is able to do today uh, with a uh, braille and with so many other new devices, even the canes that they can use, CNI dogs and things of this nature. It is amazing what a totally blind person can do today. That's not the case back in Jesus' day. When a child was born blind, they were just basically an outcast. The parents really didn't have any recourse. They took care of them, they fed them, but uh, very soon they were put out on the street to beg for their sustenance of life. That's the case of this man. Now, here's the question. Why in the world would God bring a child, an innocent child, into the world with some type of deformity or some type of disability? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Well, the problem is there are no innocent children brought into this world. That's hard for us to understand. Let me just share with you what the Bible says. David in uh, Psalm chapter 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. The Bible really does tell us that we are born in sin, that we're not sinless even as birth. And so why would God allow a child to be born with some type of deformity or disability? 
We don't know. We don't fully know. But we do know that we are in a fallen world. From the day that Adam and Eve sinned, our world began decaying. Our human bodies were no longer built to last forever. It's hard for us to understand that Adam and Eve were were designed to live forever until they sinned. But then death entered into the world. And we look and we see that there are unfortunate situations where children are brought into this world with problems. Now the question is why? Well, we don't have an easy answer for that. We really don't. Well, the disciples asked this question. Look at verse 2. Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Well, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, doesn't mean it's just his apostles, the twelve. It could be others who were followers of Jesus were with him. And they were basically questioning things that they had been taught as Jews. But the, the problem is, even the Jews had many various ways of understanding this or believing. Some of them actually believed that it was possible for an infant to sin in the womb. I don't know how you do that. I guess you kick your mom too hard or something like that, and that's considered a sin. I don't know. Others believe that the soul pre-exists and that it is possible for the soul to have sinned even before conception and birth. Now, the other side is, was it this person that sinned or was it the parents? Well, there's biblical evidence that people would look at. If you go back to Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, it says, Who keeps loving kindness for thousands? Who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin? Yet... He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, what is that speaking of? Well, that's speaking of judgment. And it's saying that the one who sins, that the consequences of their sin tend to run through the family. In other words, you kind of don't fall far from the tree. Typically, the children, the offspring, follow very close in the family's footsteps. But the iniquities are dealt with. But the truth is that all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. We have all disobeyed God somehow or another. We're born in sin. doesn't matter when we began sinning. You know, did any of y'all have to teach your kids how to lie? It's just inborn in us. We do it. We sin from a very, very early age, and we're even born in sin. But notice one thing about the disciples. They're using this blind man, this, this beggar, this man who is desperate, as a theological debate issue. They don't show any concern for him, no compassion. Jesus is the only one that shows compassion. So let's look at verses 3 through 5. And Jesus answered, It was neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent uh, me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus basically saying, Get away from the sin issue. That's not what we're dealing with here. 
We're not dealing with whether it was this man's sin before birth or after birth or knowing that he would sin or the sins of his parents. It's nothing like that. He's basically saying this is a situation for God to prove himself. Now the question is then, did God make this man blind from birth just so that in this day in his life, Jesus could come along and heal him? Well, there is some truth to that, but that's not why God made this man blind. If you notice the Bible is not it was not written in English. Y'all y'all do understand that, right? The Old Testament was written in uh, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, Aramaic. Now, there's something you may not understand. The ancient Greek that was that this was written in had no punctuation. As a matter of fact, it didn't even have spaces between words. It was all in capital letters. There was no accents. There were no uh, uh, italics or anything to stress anything. It was just total letters going across the page. So how in the world do you figure out where to put punctuation? Well, that's us. That's man making the decisions when to put a period or a comma or an exclamation mark or, or anything like that. So let's look at verse 3 and then just keep reading straight into verse 4 as if there's no period there. Jesus answers, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it was, start right here, so that the work of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Makes a little bit of difference if you leave the period out, doesn't it? So that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. The reason why this man is here is so that we may be proven to God, that we're willing to obey God. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that as long as he who sent me, we must do the works. That's important. See, Jesus is including his disciples that they also are to do the works of God as long as it's this day. What does he mean by as long as it, it is day? Well, he's basically saying as long as I'm here, as long as my spirit is in the world, we can still do something great. But night is coming when no man can do anything. When will night come? On that day of judgment when Jesus returns. There will be no more salvation offered. Judgment will come. But what does Jesus say? While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, we see an I am statement. I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of salvation. He is everything that anyone will ever need to receive salvation from their sins. So we look and we see that uh, Jesus shares with them, it's not a matter of sin. It's a matter of grace. It's a matter of compassion. It's a matter of doing God's will. So Jesus begins doing the miracle. Verses 6 and 7. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of a spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Now, Jesus did something we would not be doing today. He spit on the ground, made clay out of his spittle, and then rubbed that in the man's eyes. Now, you think you can get by with that with COVID-19 going on? 
that would be cause for arrest. But COVID-19 was not in existence in Jesus' day. He simply did a unique way of healing. Now, if you notice in the Bible, Jesus actually healed other blind people. Sometimes he did it by rubbing their eyes or touching their eyes. Sometimes he did healing just by speaking, be healed. Why the difference? Well, we don't know. Some think that Jesus used different ways of bringing healing so that others would not think that there's a a secret formula to bring healing. That if we do it just like Jesus did, then healing would take place. No, Jesus is the power of healing. And he had the ability to either speak for healing to take place, to simply touch for healing to take place, or to make something to anoint this man's eyes with for healing to take place. Some people see a metaphor in this passage. They see that Jesus used the the dirt of the ground, which represents the creation of man. And he used his spittle, representing his divinity, put the two together, anointed the man with it, and gave him the opportunity for transformation, spiritual transformation. Either way you look at it, what we see is the man was given a choice. After he put the clay spittle on the man's eyes, he said, go to the pool of Siloam, which is known as scent, and wash. Now, there's something kind of unique about this. For you and I, we'd just get up and go, wouldn't we? It wasn't so easy for a blind man. He had to find somebody that would be willing to take him, to guide him to the pool of Siloam. If he was at the temple gates, it would have been a little bit of a trek for him to get there. If he was at the city gates, according to which city gate he was at, it would have, may have been a little bit closer. But either way, he had to find somebody that would take him to the pool of Siloam, help him to get into the pool of Siloam so that he could wash. Now, this man had been blind from birth. He had been sitting on the side of the road at the gate, begging his entire life. It was all he knew. And obviously, his needs had been met because he's still alive. So here's something he could have done. He said, you know, that's just too inconvenient for me to do. I'm satisfied with what I have in life. I'll just sit here and continue to beg. It's what I know. The people know me. They generously give to me so that my needs are met. I'll just keep sitting here. But Jesus offers him healing. So he has to decide, am I willing to go through the effort to receive this healing, even though I'm not positive that it's going to happen? I mean, let's just be honest. If some stranger came up to you and and you had had cancer and you had gone through every treatment possible, you'd gone through chemo and, and radiation and all sorts of experimental treatments and nothing happened, and some stranger came up to you and said, you know, if you'll just go over and jump in that pool and wait around for a few seconds, come back, you'll be healed. How many of us would believe that? It's kind of hard to believe unless you know who Jesus is. But Jesus has that power to heal. And this man believed. Or he was so desperate that he decided, what do I have to lose? So he went to the pool of Siloam. And it says that Siloam is translated sent. Another metaphor. What does that mean? Why did, why did John add that little phrase that Siloam translated sent? 
Well, it could be a playoff that Jesus was sent from God, and now he was sending this man to receive healing. Either way, you look at it, Jesus is giving the man an offer. He is offering him a gift of healing. And so the man goes. He goes to the pool, led by whoever we do not know, and he returns with sight. Now, something really unique happens. He comes back and everybody starts looking at him. They see a man who can see who never saw before. And so they begin questioning. Is this the man that was sitting over there day after day begging? It's impossible. He can see. We know this man. He has never seen a day in his life. That cannot be the same man. Some people say, but I think he is the same man. Others say, well, he does look like him, but I don't think it's him. And the whole time the guy said, it's me, it's me, it's me. He has to jump up and down and scream to the people to prove to them, it's him. Now folks, this is the case that happens with spiritual healing as well. When God does a transforming work in a person's life, and they are no longer the same, then sometimes family, friends, co-workers... Look at them and say, you're not the same person. You must be somebody else because you don't act the same. You don't talk the same. Your life is different. And they say, no, it's me. Something has changed miraculously in me. I gave my life to Christ and he has transformed me. But people don't want to hear that. And that's kind of the situation here. The people talked about this man. He's standing right in front of them. They're talking about him, but they're not talking to him. He's having to come up and say, oh, by the way, it's me. I'm the one. I just got healed from my blindness. Spiritual healing, very much the same way. And so they ask, how in the world did this happen? How were you healed? He said, well, I'll just tell you all that I know, which is kind of sketchy. Remember, I was blind before it happened. All I know is this man who's called Jesus came and he made clay and he anointed my eyes and he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I went, I washed, and now I see. That's all I know. That's all he knew. So the next question is, Well, where is this man? Where is he? Where is this man, Jesus? The man, very honest, I don't know. Did you know that Jesus could have been standing right in front of him, right next to him, and he wouldn't have recognized him? Unless Jesus has spoken and he recognized the voice of the one who said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, he wouldn't have recognized him. You remember why, don't you? He was blind when he was with Jesus before. He would not have recognized him physically. So, I don't know where he is. I've never seen him before. Now, a little bit later, Jesus will go and find this man again. Some people think, well, it was by his faith that he went and received sight. No, I don't think so. I think the man was desperate. He was willing to do anything possible to regain or to gain his sight. He didn't, couldn't regain it because he never had it. 
And so he simply went to the pool of Siloam and washed, and he was healed. That wasn't faith. That was desperation. We find faith taking place a little bit later. Now, what we're going to find out in a little while is that Jesus did all this for a reason. And these 12 verses doesn't mention it, but if you read forward a little bit more, it says, oh, by the way, this happened on the Sabbath. Ooh. Jesus is already healed on the Sabbath, hasn't he? And the religious leaders didn't like that one bit. Well, guess what Jesus did? He worked on the Sabbath. He spit on the ground and made clay. That's working. He took that clay, picked it up off the ground, and rubbed it into a man's eyes. That's working. Then he instructed this man to travel to the Pool of Siloam. We don't know how far it was, but chances are it could have been further than the Sabbath distance. And then he had to rub his eyes, wash his eyes, which was against the Sabbath. Did you know that you can't even wash the rim of a cup that you drank out of on the Sabbath? can't do that. That's work. So Jesus knows what he's doing. And here's the reason why he did it. When he did it. He's already claimed a time and time again, I am. Meaning, I am God. I am equal with God. They don't like to hear that. But he's also saying, as God, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. Huh? Vice versa, I'm sorry. Man, it's not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. So we look and we see, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the world today? You know, a lot of people can't see him. They're blind to Jesus. They have no idea who he is, where he is, what he can do. They're spiritually blind. And that's where the problem is. We can do exactly like the men that were following Jesus. They talked about the blind man, but they weren't worried about his situation. They said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were more interested in debating the theological question about why this man was blind, then can we help him? Folks, I have been to a number of pastor's conferences and all sorts of different events like that. Do you know there's a whole lot of talk about why the world is like it is? Why people act like they do? Why certain people groups are like they are? We talk about their need for Jesus, but we don't talk too much about how we're going to share Jesus with them. That's kind of the picture of what Jesus was dealing with. He has all these followers around him. They're talking about, the man's blind. Why is he blind? Instead of, what can we do to help him? Well, they weren't probably thinking about healing him. They had no clue that he could be healed as a man born blind. Maybe they thought that Jesus could. Maybe they didn't think about that. But they weren't even concerned with his daily needs. There's no picture of them taking alms out of their pocket and putting it into his bucket. There's no concern. I'm afraid that's where we are in our world as Christians today. 
We're just like those disciples, followers of Christ. And we talk about the needs of our society, how lost our society is, how people are going to hell, how people have lost respect for others, how nobody seems to care about anybody but themselves. We talk about the political ramifications. We talk about the sociological ramifications. We think we talk about the emotional ramifications of all these types of people. And we talk about why they're like they are, but nobody really talks about what are we going to do about it. And go back to what Jesus was saying earlier. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is saying those exact words to us today. We must work the works of him, God, who sent me, Jesus. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. We, us, in this room today, must work the works of God who sent Jesus as long as it is still available opportunities to serve him. Night is coming. The judgment is coming when it will be too late. Are we like the disciples and we want to debate why the world is like it is? Or are we going to be obedient to Jesus and understand that we must work the works of him who sent me as long as day? Because there will be a time where it will be too late. Judgment will come. That's the simple truth. Well... The world around us is spiritually blind. As a general rule, the large majority of our world is spiritually blind. How can they receive spiritual sight? Well, guess what? The light is shining right now. That blind man, blind from birth, had the sun shining on him, but he couldn't see it. He might could have felt the effects of it to some degree, but he had no idea that there's this bright ball in the sky shining down on him. That's the way it is spiritually. The light of the world is still here. No, Jesus didn't walk in this world, but his spirit is. Do you remember what Jesus said when he left? I must go so that the comforter can come and do continue to do the work that I have begun. So the Holy Spirit is here. He is here in me, and in you as a child of God. The same Spirit that came into the lives of the apostles and the disciples on the day of Pentecost and gave them the power and the ability to share the love of Christ, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, where the world was turned upside down around them, thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ. That same Holy Spirit is in this room and in me and in you today, giving us the exact same ability to minister to the needs around us, to share the love of Christ, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. We are it. We are the ones that Jesus is talking about in verse 4 today. We must work the works of God who sent Jesus. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. That's the simple fact of the matter.
The blind are all around us. They cannot see spiritually. Now, the, the, the fact that we find from here is too many of his disciples had no compassion. They, they weren't looking at how we can help this man. And that's the exact same thing we find in the body of Christ. Very few people have compassion on the lost world. They say, well, they've chosen their paths. They're going along the way that they've chosen. Not much I can do about it. I know why they're that way. It's because of their upbringing. They, they didn't get to go to church like I did. They didn't have loving Christian parents like I did. They, they just weren't chosen by God to hear his voice. No. It's because we're not sharing the gospel. We don't have the compassion for the world around us. The light of the world is in us. We are the light of the world. No, we're not Jesus. But we're reflectors of the light of the world. He should be shining through us as bright as bright can be. Through our actions, through our love, through our compassion, through our desire to share Christ with others. It should be something in our hearts every day. But the light of Christ is found in His Spirit today, working in us and through us. May we allow God to shine through us to the blind, spiritually blind world around us. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, so evident that our world is spiritually blind. Lord, we may look around our own community and maybe we see a, a large majority of people claiming to be your children. They go to church on a fairly regular basis and they behave on a pretty good way. Lord, we don't know what's in another man's heart, another woman's heart, a child's heart. We don't know their relationship with you. And Lord, there's obviously many around us that don't know you. They're spiritually blind and it's very evident. Lord, help us not to talk about why they're spiritually blind, but to have compassion. To look and ask, Lord, through your Holy Spirit working in us, may we do the work that you called us to do to share your gospel, to share the plan of salvation, to share our personal testimony, to invite them to come to hear your word preached and proclaimed. Lord, whatever it takes, however you can use us, may we be used by you to bring sight to the blind, to show light into this dark and spiritually blind world. Help us, Lord, be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.